This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. More Spurs nonsense mm-hmm. than a former Spurs teammate. More third-wheeling from me. Great. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that, right? For sake. All these inside jokes that I just don't get. <laughs> no, but me and Rene are actually pals, where me and Jenna are kind of arch-nemesis, so it'd be nicer. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. I'm Rachel Sullivan. And I'm Renee Hector. The WSL isn't back quite yet, but there's still loads to talk about. Kira Walsh's world record transfer, first of all. Jen called it last week, which is weird. How damaging is this for Man City and how will it change the transfer market going forwards? Plus, it's crunch time in World Cup qualifying for many of the home nations. But is the golden era over for Northern Ireland? And we chat to Rene about entering the world of coaching post-retirement. Well, yeah. Retirement. Yeah. Oh. Big word, isn't it? I know. Horrible. We were expecting the opening weekend of the WSL, but on Friday it was of course announced that no professional or amateur football would take place in England after the sad passing of Queen Elizabeth II on Thursday. We still wanted to bring you a show nonetheless, and I'm delighted to say we're joined by another absolute legend of the game and an absolute pal, no offence Jen, (laughs) uh, and another of my former Spurs teammates is Rene Hector. Welcome Ren. Thank you, thank you. Legend's a little bit strong, but I appreciate it nonetheless. No, I'd say so. I mean, I saw you in that defensive back line, mate. There was nothing getting past that. I'll stop it. If anyone knows, Chloe knows. (laughs) Yeah, I do know, because we had a really really great season that season. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it was probably one of the best. Yeah. 10-10. The golden era. Um, it was obviously supposed to be a big weekend for women's football. We were all really excited. We thought the games were going ahead. There were some big rivalries happening at big stadiums. Um, you know, was it, do you think it's a, a lost opportunity, do you think, perhaps? not. Uh, I don't want to be insensitive because, of course, you know, I completely understandable why you would maybe pause um, sporting events, um, given what happened, everything that happened. Uh, of course, it was... You know, we're sad as people who are invested in the women's game. We were hoping for a really big weekend. We were going to be in main stadia. A couple of the games were being played in the main stadia. Um, but for me, more than anything, I, I think the missed opportunity was 
for people to actually come together and mourn. You know, we were told we, we were not having sporting occasions or in this case, just football um, because it was a, a period of mourning, which is very understandable. But for me, I think it would have been much more impactful to allow people to come together in their communities um, and respectfully show um, or, or respectfully mourn together, um, you know, in terms of optics, I suppose, you, you would have had people come together singing the anthem, you know, maybe doing a minute's applause or a minute's silence, black armbands, people standing in the in the centre circle. Um, and I just think that would have been a much more impactful way and effective way, I guess, for people to, to mourn if they wanted to. So I feel that was a bit of a shame to not do it that way, especially when other sports carried on and, and you saw how respectfully they, they did that. I think it's that it's the power of sport, isn't it? It can be a really unifying, you know, positive thing. And I think, you know, obviously the country's going through a really difficult patch at the moment. We've had a really tumultuous week and, you know, to top it off now with, with obviously the passing of, of the Queen. And, you know, people are upset. They're, you know, really wanting sort of to find a way to kind of, you know, bring some kind of light and positivity. And, you know, I think I, I agree, Rachel, in a way that, you know, without sort of any disrespect whatsoever, it would have been sort of quite a nice thing of, you know, coming together, fans engaging, having this kind of positivity around everything that's going on. There's a big change for the UK at the moment. So, Although it um, was a, a bit odd to to scrub grassroots altogether. That was a bit, <laughs> it went a bit far, I think. But, you know, um, it, it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, Rene, obviously, you know, it's affected you. You're obviously coaching at a grassroots mm-hmm. level. I mean, what, what was the impact for, for you and your team? Yeah, it was it was strange. Obviously, I'm doing the, um, the Watford development um, side at the minute. Um, so yeah, that, that game was cancelled, which was a shame, but I completely agree with both of you. And I think one thing as well is that the Queen always prided herself and she always um, spoke about this sort of get up and get on with it attitude. I see a, quite a few quotes, which um, which I really enjoyed as well. And she loved sport. She loved sport. So um, I thought it was it was strange to, to not put that on where, as you say, people can come together. I definitely feel a sense of real emotion when... I'm at a stadium watching football and I'm standing up with everybody in the stadium and singing the national anthem loud and proud. Um, and I think that would have been actually a, a really, really nice touch. But, you know, it is what it is and hopefully we have football back again. Absolutely. And it's um, I think it's just such an unprecedented thing to happen, isn't it? And, um, you know, it came, uh, you know, I think it sort of came as a shock, I think, for a lot of people, despite obviously, you know, the Queen being of the age that she was and all the health things and stuff. But, um, but you know, moving on, we now have the, the WSL opening weekend moved back by one week. Obviously, some big games coming up and we will cover those all next week once we know what the crack is and once we've analysed those and seen the goals and the saves and all those beautiful, beautiful moments. Um, so moving swiftly on, it was announced last Wednesday that Man City had finally relented. Kira Walsh, I know we touched on it a little bit before last week, but she's actually going. Uh, signed for Barcelona for a world record fee, £400,000. Cheers for that, Kira. Just completely dating our uh, our <laughs> episode uh, quite swiftly after it came out. But no, I think... We kind of alluded to that. We weren't really sure whether she was going to stick around. We knew she, we knew she wanted to move, um, and she had a year left on her contract. Um, so to be honest, it probably, I mean, it's not ideal for Manchester Manchester City to lose her, but probably better to get the fee for her rather than lose her on on a free next season. Um, but yeah, allegedly a record fee. Although I think some in the in the Barcelona camp are um, disputing that and saying it wasn't quite a record fee. But potato, potato, it was a bloody lot of money. So yes, <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing; it's such a record amount. I mean, I know we saw a massive salary. Um, we saw a massive salary for for Pinojada. Uh, what was that two years ago? Now? Yeah. This is your third year, I think, yeah, at Chelsea. And that was reportedly in excess of £250,000 or €350,000. Um, it was quite funny. Before 
this had even been confirmed, uh, we did a, a media thing with Pernilla Harder and um, she was asked, I think it was Tom Gary from The Telegraph, asked her how she felt about that mantle kind of being past somebody else becoming the new record fee and she said that she felt it was a good thing for women's football to get the money rolling and that she's happy that it's going to keep getting higher that it's what they wanted and they, she kind of felt like she wanted to she started something new with that which is um which is true because it's almost unheard of to have um players in the women's game leave their clubs under under with their contracts still, still yeah intact if you like and um, being bought out of those contracts so um i think it says a lot you saw the same thing happen with Rachel Daly i think was bought out of her contract um and she also said that it's good for the development of the game that players have to don't have to play their contracts out that they're mm-hmm. they're wanted and they can actually get sold and clubs can make money from players and that kind of thing and um yeah I think it's only going to continue to to grow well it's a business now isn't it and it's a you know it's a it's a now very lucrative business you've got if you've got players leaving for almost half a million pounds I mean in my lifetime I mean obviously Rene we played with Spurs uh, which was obviously amazing but you know at that time uh, you know even Spurs being a sort of uh, you know massive outfit in the Premier League mm-hmm. wages were nowhere near that amount and you know we still I mean it wasn't any everyone knows that I kind of spoke up a little bit about things that were happening and stuff but um, you know the wages at that level at that time and that was only three years ago yeah do you think this is a sign of the times about where we're going do you think we'll start to see more of these kind of um, big transfer fees yeah absolutely obviously it's, a, it's just a completely different world now and as as you say it's it's happened so quickly um, but I still think there, there's still a way to go because I think I still think there's a bit of a gap between the Super League and those top clubs and then and then the championship but it has to move forward somehow and as you say players getting bought out of their contracts was completely unheard of when mm. we when we were at Spurs a few years ago so even that is get, still getting closer day by day to, to the men's game which is obviously what we all want um, but yeah Barcelona I think to be honest any price for Kyrgios they've had an absolute steal to be honest obviously they're they're trying to um I think four hundred thousand pounds is a steal. Yeah, I do. For Kira, do you know what? For Kira Walsh, I do because um they obviously need to replace the, the void that Patelis has left, obviously, with her, her bad knee injury. And I've we played in that game against um, Man City when we lost 3-0 a few years ago. Oh God, don't remind <laughs> me. More PTSD moments. But this week. I've played against Kira Walsh myself and, and she's just is she's like one of a kind, like playing on one two touch all the time. You can't get anywhere near her. And obviously she's in the top 10 for pretty much all the stats in the WSL. And I mean, if you're going to replace Alexia Patella with anybody, then I think Kira Walsh is, is the perfect player. Not a bad replacement. I know. Yeah. Decent. I mean, I've, I've seen worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the thing about her. She's such a, um, you know, I, th- I think it was a real highlighted moment. I think she's sometimes sort of seen as a, as a subtle player. Mm-hmm. She doesn't always get the attention that, you know, the goal scorers get, you know, the uh, Beth Meads and Hemp's. And I don't think she's always been that, um, out there sort of mm-hmm. at the forefront of all the media but now I think this has blown up and this has become a sort of real this is a massive thing this is she's a big big player I think not this, that she wasn't before no but I think that position is often goes under the radar <laughs> yeah that defensive midfielder role is often flies under the radar for me when I uh, you know shooting at matches as a photographer she's like an elusive kind of really rare breed because I can so rarely get her on camera because mm-hmm. she's sat in the middle of the park she never comes up too high she never drops back too deep so I actually really struggle to get like decent photographs trying of to find cheetah in the wild honestly um, but I do think that role is, is underestimated and mm-hmm. therefore players like Kira Walsh end up not getting the plaudits maybe she'd 
deserve. But we did hear a lot about her during the summer. She had a brilliant, brilliant Euros. Yeah. Um, I think she deserves to be going to play to play with one of the best teams in the world. I think she deserves to be playing Champions League. I think mm-hmm. the Champions League deserves to see a player like her go further throughout the competition rather than, you know, year after year being knocked out quite early on. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's great for the game. Well, what she reminds me a little bit of like Luka Modric. You know how mm-hmm. for years he's just been an outstanding player, but always been under the radar, and then all of a sudden he went and won the Ballon d'Or, and it's just like exploded. Yeah, he just exploded, and and he's a similar kind of player in a position, as you say, that sort of doesn't always get noticed. And I think she can seriously. I think she can follow in his footsteps and win it one day. I think she's that good. I mean, you've played against her, Ren. Uh, how was that as an experience? Do you want to talk about oh, it, or do you want not to? really? No? Well, do you know what? As a centre back, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't engage with her. That yeah, much. I didn't engage with <laughs> her too God. much. But it was those those passes over to Lauren Hemp, who flicked the ball over my head and then smashed it in the top bins. That's that's what I remember, which um, haunts me still to this day. So she played a part in it for sure, but. Hey ho, it's only three now. It's not too bad. Right? We move on. Yeah, At the time, yeah. that was a really good result. Yeah, to be I know. Fair. Right? We all came off the pitch, lost and buzzing. We missed a penalty as well. So who, who we missed that? Scored. Angela. Of course, it was Angela. <laughs> <laughs> Angela is now doing amazing bits in the championship she and is. is one to watch. She yeah. Is. Um, you know, we touched on there a little bit about the sort of the firepower now that Barcelona seem to have, or the money power that Barcelona seem to have. Do you think this is kind of indicative of Barcelona or the Spanish teams becoming, you know? you know, becoming poachers really for, for some of the big players in the WSL now. Do you think that's going to start to happen? I don't think it'll just be them. I think there's money in the French League too. We're seeing it in, in Germany as well. Mm-hmm. And I think clubs over here are willing to pay a lot of money. You've seen, we saw the rumours around Chelsea and, and Grace Gioro as well. Um, so I think it will be both ways around, if you like. Um, and I think it's natural because as the game grows, the standard grows, expectations from clubs grow. Um, and teams want to be competing and challenging in, in the likes of the Champions League. And we're seeing Chelsea, who you know have been the best team in England for a while, but not in Europe, looking mm. at how they kind of mimic, I suppose, those bigger teams. Um, and that is about getting in the best players. So I think as more teams want to catch up with the likes of Chelsea or want to catch up with um, Barcelona in Spain or whatever um, we are going to be seeing bigger fees for for players yeah and I think um, I mean it's beautiful it's beautiful to see that that kind of money is now being banded around at, at that level I think my concern is that you know Man City especially have one of been my biggest concern this season and we touched on this briefly last week where you know they've got quite a lot of players who have gone um, you know, now another big one gone I mean what are our kind of expectations now for Man City without losing so on so key I it's, it's worrying. I mean, you've got to be asking questions about what is going on at Manchester City because mm. those players, some of those players that have gone are City through and through um, and I've been there for a long time and for them not to want to be around anymore, to be playing for the badge anymore, um, it, you really do have to ask questions about what's going on behind the scenes um, and I imagine fans are worried. I mean, they've brought in some good signings um, but I'm quite concerned in terms of that midfield replacement they've not brought in a direct replacement for mm-hmm. Kira Walsh they have signed an absolute gem in Yui Hasegawa on the final day of the transfer window um, and I'm delighted for her she's excellent excellent signing again another really underrated player played at West Ham um, and you know again flew under the radar so she'll be great for them but she's not a direct replacement for Kira Walsh she has played that defensive midfield role before but I think her natural position is a little bit higher up in that midfield mm-hmm. um, they've got Blackstad Angledal Laura Coombs, um, you know, they, they do have midfielders. I just am a little bit worried about, we talked about this last last week, about those like-for-like replacements and what potential holes you're leaving in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that'd be my concern. They've brought in some some good 
Spanish players. And as yep. we're seeing it come the other direction, I think this might be the most Spanish players we've had in the WSL in a, in a season, um, which is a good thing. I think it says a lot about um, about the league. But yeah, they've brought in a, a lot of young players. That'll be my other thing is you've lost a huge amount of experience. Yep. Mm. So never mind replacing like for like role-wise, but actually yep. just that experience. Um, I, I'm a little bit worried for Man City. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think with a team, as long as you have a good core and a good spine, that actually you can build around that and you'll do all right. But actually a lot of their, their lot spine... Of their spine's and, gone. And yeah, like, yeah. yeah, basically. has got these limbs yeah. flopping around and no, their spine the in the all over the place. But um, <laughs> obviously you haven't got you haven't got your Kirills, you haven't got your Caroline Weir, your Georgia Stanway, uh, your Ellen White. Um, those are some big players right through the middle of the pitch. So... That's where my concern, because you still got, you know, Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, you've got some outstanding players, but but you need you need a strong core, um, I think, to do well. So that that would be my concern. So I I actually don't see them finishing in the top four. Do you reckon top four? I wow, because so. I thought Man United would pip Man City yeah. for a Champions League spot, but. That's interesting. Oh, you think Man yeah. City are going to be a middle of the table no, type WSL squad? I think squad they now. might come around fit. They might pip fourth, but I don't think they're going to come any higher than that. It's definitely going to be Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, and I think Spurs and City are going to battle it out for the fourth. Love spot. that. Oh, I like I that. Think. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I think there's a little bit, a, a lot of merit in that. Mm. A lot of merit in that. Um, well, moving back slightly then to Kira Walsh and Lucy Bronze, who I've got to admit, just before this podcast started, I had uh, a little bit of a mind blank and didn't realise that they were in fact together. So congratulations on them too and being reunited over in a fantastic country. Uh, one of the best cities in the world, in my opinion. Um, but they were denied their Barcelona debuts at the weekend. Um, Spain's female referees called a strike, demanding professional status and payment in line with the men's La Liga, which caused the opening round of matches in the first season of Spain's fully professional women's league to be called off. The whole thing was quite bizarre because it was on Thursday they called a strike, right? So they said, we're on, until these working and economic conditions are changed, we will not be refereeing in, in the league. And teams were still sent out, kitted up, uh, you know, club social media still put up the warm-up photos and whatnot. Um, I think one club even travelled nine hours on a bus or something ridiculous like that, wow. all for them to line up. And then the game didn't go ahead because, guess what? There were no referees. Um, so that, it takes one text. It, well, I would have been so vexed it, it if was, I'd warmed up and not Yeah, they knew. They knew. So it was like, I think it was, they were, they were basically playing chicken, right? The refs versus the league. I think the people in charge of the league were playing chicken of who would, who would break first and um, the refs didn't. So, yeah, unfortunately, the, the debut didn't happen. Um, Friedelina Rolfo tweeted about it and she'd said that when the league got professional it was my hope that the conditions should be good for everyone around the game and this means all of the many people who work hard to make this game what it is it is important we bring everyone on this journey and I think that says a lot you know it doesn't sound like they're especially bitter this is the first as far as more the first year of a fully professional league mm-hmm. um, and I, I agree if you we've said this before if you're going to have a professional league you need to have referees the same standards so um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, that's for sure. I've heard they're pretty important people actually on the pitch, so um, might Listen, need those back. You yeah. ask my gran, all right? She is a big <laughs> fan of referees. We need to get her in the chair. <laughs> not stop talking about the referees in the Ireland match, my God. So she'd definitely be backing them. God, there's always an issue with referees. I know. I know. Need to keep them happy, don't we? Thank you. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The World Cup playoffs draw was made last week after a host of international action. Wales will host Bosnia-Herzegovina while Scotland are at home to Austria and will face Ireland in the final if they get past them. Ireland was one of three best-placed runners-up so went straight into the final round for a shot at their first World Cup final. Rach, you were there. You saw them beat Finland 1-0 to secure that second spot in Group A. Uh, they then beat Slovakia 1-0 last Tuesday. Uh, I mean, how big would this be for them? How, what was the kind of atmosphere at the game? Well, it was big, right? I'd, I'd been to a couple of the games at the end of, the, uh, of last year and obviously there were still some COVID restrictions in place, but there was definitely a different buzz around the game um, when I was there, God, Thursday week ago. Um, and they knew that if they won this game, they were guaranteed a playoff spot. And the whole thing then with Slovakia and a number of other fixtures between Thursday and Tuesday would determine whether they ended up in playoff one or playoff two. So it was ridiculous because despite um, being Irish, we never seem to have the look of the Irish when it comes to this thing. Um, (laughs) But we needed uh, Portugal to beat Serbia. We needed Norway to beat Belgium. We needed England to beat Austria. And then Ireland had to beat Slovakia. And if all of those things happened, they would not have to play playoff one. They'd go straight into playoff two with Switzerland and Iceland. very complex. Very complicated. Um, And all of those things happened. So Ireland ended up one of three teams to automatically go into the playoff two spot. Um, It gets complicated again because... I can't take anymore. Honestly, only two of those teams will automatically go into the World Cup. The third team will have to go and play an international, intercontinental playoff in February. Um, And all of that is down down to rankings. So because it's Switzerland and Iceland, Ireland are kind of the lower ranked squad. So for them to get an automatic... Um, spot in the World Cup they would need either Switzerland or Iceland to lose their playoff two game and Ireland to win so it's very complicated right but basically just keep winning Ireland that's all you can do Um, and yeah it'd be absolutely massive we're such a small country Football isn't even the main the main sport for um, women over there. So, like to see how far they've come over the years is is crazy. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that many of the players are now semi pro professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it takes a while for this to bleed into a national team, and hopefully, it will bleed into the um, the national league over there as well. Um, but yeah, it's huge. And I think for the players that we have in the squad. Um, they are a bit of a golden generation, I think, but we still have a lot of youth in that squad as well. But it would be unbelievable to make a major tournament. I mean, it's going really well for the home nations and Ireland. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've seen a fantastic summer of, you know, home nations football. You know, the teams have achieved so much this season and sort of even just raising the profile of, you know, the massive achievements. Um, but I think, um, you know, obviously, there's some teams in Europe that have already qualified automatically. We've got Sweden going through, Spain, the Netherlands, Denmark, Norway, Italy, Germany, France and England. And I think, Rene, I mean, we've got to touch on England because the performances recently, not obviously just in summer, but mm-hmm. recently with uh, the World Cup qualifications or the, the, the World Cup stage has been unreal. Yeah. Obviously unreal. Like You couldn't have asked for better games. I oh, know. Yeah. The, group, the group's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, obviously the, the Euros, you know, it speaks for itself. That was an amazing, amazing time for the whole country. But um, but yeah, what, what really impresses me is the squad depth that they have. So... Obviously, you've got Beth England coming on, Nikita Paris. They're both getting on the score sheet as well. I mean, I know there was a lot of scorers on the score sheet. It just seems like every single player is 
buying into what the manager wants and needs mm-hmm. and, and they seem to be all singing from the same hymn sheet. So the fact that they can come on and still, you know, you don't see that void when there's a substitution. You don't, there's no difference in the level of performance. It doesn't drop at all. Um, that for me is, is is really key to having a good squad. So, so yeah, I mean, they're going to win the World Cup, aren't they? Do you reckon? Yeah. Oh wow! All right, we've got a la- we've got a, a flag line pole in the I'm sand there. thing. Yes, there. yeah, the sand in the flag. I think like what's also really cool is obviously England have qualified, but just going back on what we said earlier to have Ireland, Wales, and Scotland all potentially, you know, all in playoff positions. Mm-hmm. There's three matches in playoff one, and then there's going to be three matches in playoff two, um, and we could end up with a potential Scotland Ireland playoff two match, which. I really don't want to happen, but at least we'd know one of them would go through, but I really don't want that to happen. I just want <laughs> Ireland to go through. But, you know, the one sad thing about it is Northern Ireland are are not um, in that. They they ended up third in their group, I think it was, um, and, and beat Latvia 3-1, but all three of those goals were own goals, which is that's bonkers. Um, but yeah, I think that's a shame that, um, that after such a, a good 12 months for them that they won't be in any of the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously now they're not going to play another competitive game for 12 months. Uh, and the next time will be when they're qualifying for the Euro 2025, as if we're talking about Euro 2025 after this summer. I can't even cope with that. Um, but again, I mean, Kenny Shields is, um, you know, one of our faves for all these fantastic, controversial comments that he loves to make. Um, he said both their qualifiers this month were bereft of atmosphere, which Lovely. I think is... Um, I mean, that's not the most positive message to send out after a game, is it? Um, You know, you want something to sort of rally the fans and sort of get them behind you. But Mm -hmm. I feel like this is um, a little bit of a criticism. Uh, Not the greatest. Kenny, criticising? Weird. Stop it. Yeah, a bit odd that. A bit odd that. He's always Mr. Percy Positive over here. Um, I mean, his contract expires before the beginning of the next campaign. What do we think about his position with the squad? Do we think that's sort of um, looking a little bit vulnerable after, after recent months? I... I would think so. it's hard to know because the FA, Irish FA came out and backed him, the players came out and backed him. So sometimes it's really hard to know what's really going on. You know, they were in the almost in the middle of a major tournament. Um, so I, I didn't expect anything to rock the boat. Um, but, you know, you're losing some some big players, I think, potentially. You know, you've got some older players in the squad now, Julian Nelson, Marissa Callaghan. Um, there are young players coming through, of course. Um but Rachel Furness also recently stated that she was stepping away from international football. Yeah, which, I did wonder what that was about. What is that about? We, I don't know. She didn't say, but I think that's quite unusual. Uh, she didn't give specific reasons, but, you know, these girls have been fighting and fighting to get what they deserve, much like, say, Scotland. Um, it can be very draining, I imagine. You saw Kim Little step up, step down from Scotland and many thought that was quite early. You know, she said it was because she wanted to recover and stuff, but she went off and played in America in the summer. So... She's obviously keen to still be playing football. I just think sometimes we forget how much additional work these players have to to do in order to get what they deserve, both on and off the pitch. Ireland have gone through it as well. Northern Ireland have pushed for it. Scotland, Wales are doing it. And, you know, sometimes we forget about that. It's not just about going out and representing your country. You also have to fight sometimes at your federation to to get the basics that you deserve in order for you to perform on the pitch. And mm-hmm. that can be that can be quite draining for players. That takes up a lot of extra energy. I mean, it's you know, it's a battle. I mean, we've had we had similar battles when we were sort of playing uh, very early days in the championship. And mm-hmm. you know, you want to perform, and that's the biggest thing because you feel like the better your performance is, the more likely it is that you'll be listened and heard, mm-hmm. um, and things will start to progress and change. Um, 
but it is a lot. I mean, being a professional athlete, Renault, I mean, you've you've been there, done it, got the mm-hmm. t-shirt, and you know, there still were wearing so many, the t-shirt, still wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> Another full kit uh, person uh, <laughs> in the hot seat today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what are your experiences? I mean, uh, you know, we were we went through the similar battles uh, mm-hmm. back in the day, and it's not just that performance, is it? It's actually you know expending that energy on fighting in the right way and, and getting things for for the next generation coming through. No, exactly. And I was just about to say that some of those players in the squad you've mentioned, they're semi-professional players. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have jobs as well outside of the clubs that they play for and the nations that they play for as well. And I think that was probably and is probably still the most difficult part of it because we play, I feel like women play football, maybe not so much now, but definitely when we started playing, play football because they love the game Mm -hmm. and they want to give their all to it. You definitely don't get into football for the money. No. Um, as a woman, that's for sure. Maybe not now, but maybe now, but not before. But well, maybe if you Kira Walsh, you do. Maybe if you Kira Walsh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, that's the most difficult part of it. So we got into football because we love it and we want to give our all to it. But it's very difficult to do that when you're having like you know sometimes it's like fourteen, fifteen hour days because mm-hmm. you've got to you've got to go to work all day. You get home, you can, you barely got time to eat and then straight out to training till 10pm and then you do it all over the next day. Um, and sometimes that, that work-life balance, because that's what it is, is, is really, really difficult and it puts strains on relationships and, and your social friendships and stuff like that. So there's all of that stuff to contend with as well and it's not, not just about the money as well. It's a really good point that you have to perform on the pitch in order to get what you deserve, it seems. Yeah. But you can't perform on the pitch until you've gotten what you deserve. Mm-hmm. It's like this chicken and egg situation. Yeah. And time. it's the same both club and country mm-hmm. that if you're not getting the thing, you know, Ireland women had to share their tracksuits with the underage. They'd mm-hmm. often meet in the airport and change the toilets because they didn't have their own tracksuits to, to train in. Like that kind of stuff is just bonkers. You know, never mind your nutritionists, your mm-hmm. the physical coaches that you have, your physios, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of expected to if you do well, then we can start investing in you and giving you that kind of stuff. But yeah. y- you can't do well unless yeah. you've got that stuff behind you and, and it's the same at, at club level. Yeah, you train like 12 to 15 hours a week, but sometimes you turn up to training and, and back in the day, there, there wouldn't be an SNC or there wouldn't be a physio um, or you'd be outside and it'd be chucking it down. Or, oh, those are the good old days. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the pitch would be waterlogged. But remember when we had to train in the snow? Yes. Do you remember? We yeah. were supposed to play a game. Um, but in the end, we then just had to train in the snow, which was bizarre because we couldn't see the football. Couldn't even uh, see the lines. No, exactly. And, didn't and even know the pitch was. You're having, to, um, <laughs> you're having to contend with all these things that you need to be a top athlete mm-hmm. that actually is not in place from the start, but you're expected to get to the levels of a, of a top athlete without those things in place. And that's really, really difficult. And I feel like only a certain few are able to to push through that barrier. So, Renee, whilst we've got you in the hot seat this week, mm-hmm. uh, really appreciate you being here, dressed in your Spurs kit. Thanks again for that. Should I wear that next week? I just feel like it's <laughs> um, becoming a regular thing. I don't have one, but... You don't have one? No. Oh. I, mean, I can get you one. All Probably. right. Yeah. Next week, I'll wear it. Get some training kit. Yeah. I can fish out like an old shirt. I've got lots from, like, of like Back in the day, yeah, I've got like yeah. mud marks so on it. So it would me yeah. if I was wearing Spurs kit. My God. <laughs> Rachel would be having a divorce. <laughs> Um, Renna, you started as a development coach at Watford this summer, mm-hmm. uh, the club where you first broke through 
all those years ago in 2013 and 2014, I can't even cope with the fact that that is an actual fact because to me, like, you'll always be like 20. Something stupid like that. That works for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In my head. It really does work like, I'm always me. just like, oh, it's young Rene. Like, it's all the other team. Yeah. Um, I mean, how did the player, the, the development pathway for players under your guidance compared to when you first started? How have things changed since then? Well, there was no such thing as a development so it team. it didn't exist. Yeah, no, it's basically... <laughs> that's quite did. a change, isn't it? <laughs> it exists, so that's a big change. Um <laughs> But yeah, obviously, uh, back in the day when I first started, you had um, we had a centre of excellence, which was kind of an academy, I guess. Um, and then you had the reserves and then you had the first team. So obviously the reserves they were, were made up of players who were like, you know, over tw- in their 20s, 30s. Whereas now, obviously, your development teams are, are normally players that are under 23s and, and more often than not, really, they're, they're sort of 16 Youngsters, to 19 yeah. uh, years old. So... Um, it's completely different because it's obviously not hugely results driven. It's all it's all just about developing them and, and getting them ready for senior football, um, which is something I never had. I mean, I was I was thrust into it at 16 years old um, in Watford first team because one of the players done her ACL unfortunately, and and I just got chucked in, and that's so there was no sort of development or, or maybe that coaching on getting mentally ready for Mm -hmm. that as well Um, but I feel like it depends on who you are as a person I feel like I I thrived but maybe not everybody does so it's great to sort of have have this in place and then you can sort of they can dip in and out of the first team be involved in the squad but then come back as well and be in that that comfortable place so um, so yeah it's fantastic I enjoy it I think it's all about gaining that experience isn't it I mean when you're mm-hmm. 16 17 years old I mean you're still kind of a, a child mm-hmm. just in sort of life experience generally but you know nothing really prepares you for the experience of going onto that pitch the high performance the pressure the analysis mm-hmm. the looking back over your games going back over mistakes you know thinking what about you know what I could have done better or how am I going to compete with x person in, in this position and am I going to get picked for the squad and all these kind of mental battles that you're having every week I mean it's it's really tough it just makes me think of how England have developed over the years is having those underage groups um, and that that same kind of concept the whole right the way through so while the standard might improve and or improve with each kind of age group the way in which you train and the pathway is the same as you go so mm-hmm. I think you know Serena was really keen on having the under 23 squad and having that kind of um, step up for for players and that opportunity for players to still be able to play if they don't quite make the senior squad there's still an opportunity for them to keep playing at a high level mm-hmm. and then when you do make it up into the top squad I'd say like the same with getting into the first team it's not some massive jump like there's yeah. much mm-hmm. more of a plan and a progress in place mm-hmm. And that's the thing, because we train together as well. So so there's visibility as well, because we, we, we all train within the dome. We get half and the first team get half. So it's almost like that teasing them that actually that to take that next step, you've just got to go across the halfway line. But it's just trying to get them there mm-hmm. and seeing that visibility of the first team training and all the first team coaches all in and around it as well. And sometimes they'll have a little walk over and have a watch. So um, I feel like that part of it is really good because I think, it keeps them motivated for sure. And do you think there's sort of, um, in terms of kind of the mental support that you get mm-hmm. being a player now, I mean, before back in the day, there was kind of nothing really going on. You were just 
this is your job, yeah. do it. Um, but now I feel like there's sort of better player care. There's sort of mm-hmm. more, um, you know, sports psychologists involved in some mm-hmm. of the background stuff. So has that, has that kind of improved, that better sort of mental health support for, for players, especially young players? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously I was a player last year and now I'm a coach this year, but there is a sports psychologist, the, the safeguarding team, mm-hmm. quite often just come along to training just to check in. We've got a... We've got a chaplain as well who, got a chaplain. yeah, yeah, who comes on. I think she comes just Thursdays, but just to chat to anybody if they if they need a chat. So there was none of that, you know, when yeah. I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So I I find that that really helps because they feel like people care. So if you get a moment outside of football, you can have a a little chat with with somebody that can help you. But that helps keep them them focused when it's time to train, um, which I think is really key and it's important. Some of the pressures that you know players are now facing, there's more awareness of the game, obviously mm-hmm. more um, attention on it. You're getting more bums on seats at the games and things. And you know, Ren, we've really got to touch back on you know what happened a few years ago in, in January 2019, which. Mm-hmm game between uh, Spurs and Sheffield United we were both playing at the time we were we were chasing that league title which was amazing um but Sophie Jones racially abused Renee uh, and then subsequently denied that she had done so um you know and I remember the game so well it was up north mm-hmm. um you know we were you know obviously fight yeah fighting for fighting for the title at the point it felt like a really positive season I think it was one of the first games back wasn't it after the Christmas break yeah um you know, stepped out onto the pitch. Obviously, that took place. Um, and, you know, I remember you coming in at half time and, you know, having these discussions with the players. And, you know, we were all absolutely outraged at what would happen. But, you know, we hadn't, no one had really expected, no one had ever really experienced that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time that we'd really experienced it from a player, especially from fans. You can kind of think, oh, there's a, you know, there's a risk that that might happen. But from a player, I mean, from your perspective, you know, how did that feel for you in that moment? And, you know, how amazing would it have been if you'd have had the kind of support that you're now talking about mm-hmm. with your girls? at that moment in time and sort of prepared you for situations that could come across like that. Yeah, I remember it vividly. Obviously, I was in complete disarray when I come in at half because it literally happened just before half time. So I didn't really know what to do or what to expect. I mean, I've received racist abuse before in my life, but Mm. I always felt that football was a safe space for Mm -hmm. me anyway. Um, So obviously, yeah, that that was quite difficult. It probably shouldn't have... um, told me mum straight away at half time <laughs> as I walked past her because she was just like completely lost her nut but I mean, um, your mum was a force oh, no, an yeah force, force to be yeah. reckoned with for sure but um but yeah like obviously that was it was very it was just very overwhelming at the time um and yeah the the support I'm sort of talking about now and that we've got for our girls I feel like I really really would have benefited from that. Obviously, you know me and you know that I'm quite a sort of just get up and get on with it person. And, you know, I'd still um, took the weight of the team on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I was quite a leader, so I wanted to be strong for everybody else. But looking back, I sort of wish that I'd maybe tried to reach out more. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the support in general could have been better um because I think it, to be honest if I'm being completely honest it's still something that I'm affected by mm-hmm. now yeah um but I feel like if this was to happen in this day and age I just feel that you know the FA and clubs and stuff they're just so much better prepared yeah uh, for people that maybe understand or like know how to handle the situation I felt like when it happened to me afterwards I felt like no one really knew what to do or how to handle the situation because as you say it was like Completely was, unprecedented. Yeah, it was the first one of the first incidents where it's happened in women's football on the pitch from a player. Yeah. Um, so it was just bizarre and I feel like no one really knew what to do. But I'd like to think that now 
Um, they would and I hope that doesn't put people off of you know if it does happen reporting it because I mean it wouldn't surprise me um, if people didn't feel comfortable enough to because Mm. of all the all the backlash that happened but um, yeah hopefully that now um, I think there'd be a lot better to support them than what I had. I think that was the most disappointing thing about and obviously as a mixed race person myself I think I naively assumed that what would happen is that she, you know, you had the FA of investigation, the mm. FA then obviously decided in your favour, um, which is amazing because, you know, there was so much evidence and stuff that was collated. It felt like a good investigation had been carried out and, and the right result was reached. Um, but it, it was a backlash after that event. It wasn't just the the event itself, mm-hmm. but it was obviously you, you did some amazing stuff in stepping up and speaking up against things. And, you know, that really put... Um, you know the issue of racism in women's football which hadn't really been talked about prior to that at the forefront of the agenda and okay what are we doing what are the protocols in place are we teaching our players what we should be doing if that takes place again and how do we conduct ourselves in an FA investigation and you know there was a whole thing about can we use social media and should Mm -hmm. we on Twitter talking about this because we wanted to as players support you and say yeah "Yeah, what happened is absolutely disgusting and Mm -hmm. we want to you know vocally stand up for you but there was all these kind of background things that were in place to kind of say okay we'll just let the FA do their job and um but for me what I naively thought was that everyone on social media would be like can't believe this has happened absolute outrage but what happened was that you then received even more racial abuse and I was shocked even to this day there are times where I think you know if I never put that tweet out I think my life right now would be really different Mm -hmm. and that sometimes can get to me and it is quite upsetting However, I think by putting that out, there were so many things that I was able to do afterwards to hopefully help other players, other young players. I've had parents message me of their young girls who are mixed race who had received the same and said, you know, they thanked me for for speaking. Um, It may have been on a podcast or or whatever it might have been at the time. Um, And obviously that makes it worth it to me. And when I look back, would I do the same now? I would because I feel like it's given an opportunity for clubs and the FA to learn from it. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's been at the expense of, of myself. Because, um, yeah, there was a lot of, back- there was a lot of support on, on the social media, don't get me wrong. But there was um, a lot of trolls, as you like to call them, saying mm. all sorts of stuff. So I found that really difficult because nothing could have prepared me for that, you know. You probably don't realise the extent of the positive impact, though, that you doing that had because of all of the negative Mm -hmm. stuff that you got back but I I think when we look at the women's game especially in recent years you can be quite proud of how players stand up when something's wrong and other players will back them or use their platforms and people like you will have inspired other players to say actually I have a platform to talk about this issue or tackle this issue or call something out that's wrong Mm -hmm. and without players like yourself having done that you maybe wouldn't see the players that we have now using their platform and saying, actually, my voice matters and I, I need to speak up and it will help other people. So it's probably no comfort to you now, but like that probably inspired a huge amount of those that are doing it now as well. Yeah. And I think that's something in the women's game we should really be proud of and champion. And it shouldn't be the case that people have to do that to mm-hmm. experience that. But the fact that women are strong enough to use their platforms to do that will massively help those coming through. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that because I think thinking about it like that is probably the one thing that keeps me going, knowing that I did the right thing. Um, And even though it had a negative impact on my life, which I'm still working on, is that actually, hopefully it had a positive impact on on so many others. Um, and, And that's one thing that I am proud of, so...
massively. I mean, you were one of the first to do that. You were, I think it was one of the first times that a championship or WSL player had really gone public about, you know, an issue that was really important to people. And I think in the context of this, this incident happened even before the Black Lives Matter movement. So mm-hmm. even before this focus was being given to issues like race and football, you were at the forefront of that, delivering all these amazing like, podcasts and seminars and talks and things. So, mate, like, yeah, it's something that I've always been really, like, proud to know you about like oh, yeah stop it a bloody tear to stop my oh let's not end on an Get emotional, emotional. Oh, God. this is a complete different to me and jenna just fighting oh, <laughs> dogs are actually tired oh my god it was bad yeah and i've got to just throw you back apparently i've had a, a, a breaking news story uh just announced before the uh, recording that the wsl and women's championship will return this weekend so guys where are we going to be because football's back on yeah um so rather than last week i think we were starting at meant to be starting at tottenham man united tottenham hotspur stadium um it will be arsenal brighton at boramwood and then uh i'll be doing a game on i think west ham on sunday nice nice busy weekend yes. I mean, it's always a busy weekend always. for you. yeah i mean you never really sit still yeah <laughs> ever how about you Red? yeah i'll be coaching my girls in a cup game oh! against keenisham but um i'll be keeping an eye for sure Okay. I'll be refreshing the Twitter. I think where will I be? I will be with uh, Crystal Palace. Uh, come down and watch the game. We are playing at Selhurst Park this weekend, which yes. will be amazing. Uh, hoping to get quite a big crowd, big atmosphere. So, uh, yeah, join if you're... Is that free. Saturday or Sunday? That'll be Sunday, 12.30 kickoff. So a lot of social media push for uh, crowds. Yes, big social media push. It's a big job. Thank you for that reminder, <laughs> Rach. Really helpful from you. Get on down. Thanks for listening to Upfront. We'll be back next Tuesday to look back on the opening weekend of the WSL. In the meantime, subscribe to us wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review. And like I said last week, only good reviews will be counted. We'll love you for it. See you next week. Peace. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.